Welcome to the Cryptocurrency Teens Podcast, a podcast brought to you by CryptocurrencyTeens.com, a website aimed to educate teens on cryptocurrency and financial literacy. We offer a scholarship contest, this podcast series where we interview thought leaders in the crypto and blockchain industry and conduct research into teens' preferences for investing in various crypto assets. Each episode features thought leaders in the crypto and blockchain industry or inspiring entrepreneurs from the business world who share their career journeys and words of wisdom for teenagers. I'm the host of this podcast series, Abigail Lee, the founder of CryptocurrencyTeens.com and a junior at Hunter College High School in New York City. Before we get started, I would also like to share two disclaimers. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Cryptocurrency Teens and its staff. Second disclaimer is that this is not financial advice. The information contained in this podcast is not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as financial advice. In general, the advice offered by our guests should be specific advice about the cryptocurrency industry or the blockchain industry and not specific investment advice. For this episode, I'm excited to interview Peter Perez, VP Business Development at GamerDrive. Army veteran and entrepreneur, Peter has a passion for innovation with a history in blockchain, hotel real estate, and gaming conventions most notably self-producing eSport events and providing business services to powerhouse clients like DreamHack. Peter now takes those insights into the virtual world, leading business development for GamerJibe, a virtual events and online community platform. So Peter, I see that you are the Vice President of Business Development at GamerJibe. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about your company and your roles? Yes, thanks, Abby. I really appreciate the invite. Uh, GamerJibe is simply creating an opportunity for any community or organization to be able to move their community into the virtual world to be able to monetize, be able to engage directly in real-time peer-to-peer engagement. What was your career journey like to get into the cryptocurrency or blockchain industry in the first place? And why did you decide to get into this industry? So many years ago, back in 2009, uh, a friend and colleague of mine had a journey and a vision really to create a tokenized solution for uh, urban farmers within, you know, any, any region where they essentially wanted to acquire funding at the beginning of growth cycles rather than at the end. And so I can recall having conversations with Vitalik, right, when Ethereum first was kicking off where, you know, we were just ideating on what would be the right uh, token asset to back this, you know, like utility that we were trying to create. We were arriving at this so early that it was just requiring so much education in order to gain traction with, you know, like big box stores like Whole Foods or, you know, uh, maybe with Trader Joe's or, you know, even with Walmart or Target, like wherever they were sourcing any of their produce uh, from local farmers, we wanted to try to find a way, you know, like an appropriate way to be able to plug into that and provide a tokenized blockchain asset on the back end. However, you know, like, you're, when you get into this world, you're going to find that there's going to be a lot of learnings along the way, and you have to pivot once you find that any blockers exist on that path. So that was really my introduction into my own personal journey into creating a solution with blockchain. But I had always, you know, I'd always attended these really interesting kind of comic culture events, you know, after I got out of the military to learn more about what Bitcoin was, right? Uh, what What's this, you know, what's Ethereum, right? Where is this competition coming from between these different tokenized assets? And uh, where is the real value that comes out of fiat? Um, so really my journey started in learning 
what real, you know, what people consider real money, um, you know, with the fractional reserve currency system that the Federal Reserve was creating and, you know, just realizing that it really was all based on faith, right, on the users that were using those currencies. And, you know, it was really eye-opening to me once I learned, you know, the, the history and the creation of fiat money, where it, it pushed me in the direction of wanting to learn more about how decentralized types of, you know, monetary methods would unlock a new sense of freedom uh, to allow people to create liquidity when they needed to, and, you know, to be able to do that at their leisure without, you know, so much government in intervention. So it is a lot of learnings and it came together rather quickly. And sometimes you don't know exactly which direction you're going to go into, but, you know, eventually a vacuum is created and you get pulled in based on, you know, what trends um, are going on and where you think you're going to find, you know, the, the, the I guess the, uh, you know, fastest entry point into a particular market. Yeah, that's really interesting here, especially what you said about how it's all about faith regarding cryptocurrency. I once wrote this paper and this professor kept asking me, why should people invest in cryptocurrency? It's not backed by anything. The government doesn't even regulate it, which could be seen as a negative about it. So what would you say in response to this? In response to that, I would say that our entire banking system is currently built on a private bank model. It's not even associated with a government organization at all. And the oversight that's really happening there is really run by that private institution. So the rules of the game are designed by the owners of the intellectual property that's known as the US dollar. Uh, and so when they get to control the money supply and really there there's no limitations there nobody can tell them you know nobody can really stop them from being able to increase that money supply and in effect reducing the value of everybody's dollar that they have in their wallet and every dollar that they have in their bank account um, you know that inflation is you know built in it's part it's a feature that's built in uh, you know, to fiat money. And so what I would say is that, you know, blockchain allows anyone to take, um, you know, whatever rules that they want to build into the way that the, you know, system is distributed, right? They get to decide what the actual money supply will be for one particular asset. And then, you know, the, they get to layer in all kinds of ways in order for, you know, early adopters to come in and, and become founders and create nodes if, you know, there's a minting process or at least a, a mining process rather to then, you know, create that initial value on the onset uh, so that early adoption, it, it, you know, becomes valuable to those early adopters that then get to hold, you know, that new unit of, of, of account. Uh, similar to Bitcoin, right? We're, we're getting close to the end of that total pool, that asset pool. And so uh, it'll be very interesting to see who that last person is, right? That mines the last uh, Satoshi or the last, you know, Bitcoin. So, you know, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things that are happening with blockchain, but I think fundamentally is that it it is decoupled from regulation inherently because it is supposed to be owned 
by the users and not by any central authority. And I think that's a huge value proposition for anyone who's going to become a user of any platform out of any software. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to place your bets on anywhere, I would say those platforms that are designed around the end user are ultimately going to win. Uh, the federal banking system is just not designed for the end user. It is designed inherently to cipher value from the end user to then benefit the, you know, the owners of that intellectual property. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. So since our target audience are teens around the world who are interested in cryptocurrency or blockchain, what advice would you give them about entering this industry in the future as a career? Yeah, the best advice that I think was given to me is just do your own research. Don't listen to anyone out there that might be trying to give you advice. Don't listen to me. Don't believe a single thing that I say is just really do your own research. You will come into your own failings. You will fail and fail and fail time again until you eventually succeed. But those failures are each going to be very critical points of learning that will be so valuable uh, you know, not just to yourself, but to, you know, like your friends and colleagues that, you know, will go on a journey with you. It's very rare to find a solo artist in the entrepreneurial world, right? You have to rely on your peers, right? Yeah, early on, you rely on your friends and family in hopes that they'll give you some funding, you know, to get you started. And then, you know, you got to expand into marketing, sales, right? You, you've got to grow your understanding of how these things work. So I think getting ahead of getting ahead of the curve means being able to do your own research and taking the time to learn other people's failings and figure out what worked and what didn't work for others. And, you know, just take that and, and experiment. Uh, you know, there's going to be instances where people get rug pulled and, you know, they want to invest in a, you know, um, a new coin or a new asset that's trying to provide some utility and, you know, it might fail. Um, but, you know, those particular assets that are out there that people want to invest in that have, you know, utility that are centered around major infrastructure, like Web3, huge infrastructure there. I mean, we're talking about pivoting away from the old web interface model where platforms owned your data uh, into a world where each individual user is then owning, owning their own data and then also owning any community data that is generated from you know, maybe a new platform that they want to create in the Web3 world, whether that's, you know, the metaverse or, you know, any NFT offerings. It's super, super important to, you know, not go down any path that isn't fully vetted. Um, and what I mean by that is like, understand who's on the team, who's behind the product, who's willing to, you know, uh, provide at least is enough transparency where it feels as though, you know, the community has a voice. And so doing that research on those particular, you know, assets, if somebody wants to invest, you know, understand where you're putting your money, because, you know, that's a lot of people think that on the short term, they might be able to get a quick buck uh, in these pump and dump schemes that are out there. I mean, the ICO world where all these tokens were popping up everywhere and everyone's just like dump your money here and then finding out that you know the uh i guess the 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 developers of those tokens were just you know dumping value and selling off and people, people thousands millions of people were losing money 
Um, but that's because they didn't do their research. They didn't pause for a minute to figure out who's developing that asset, uh, you know, and finding out later that they were just fraudsters and basically doing a copy paste model and trying to launch as many tokens as they could to extract as much value as they could from the buzz that was surrounding right? Investing in these tokens and trying to get a quick buck out of them. Really, it's a new unit of account. Um, it's replacing 401k. It's replacing a lot of these, you know, long-term retirement strategies because people understand that the utility is ultimately going to win in the end, right? And how that token provides a solution to, uh, you know, the world in various ways, you know, it could be energy related. It could be, you know, like web, right? Web interface, and the entire network uh, that the internet provides, that entire utility is massive. Uh, so any solutions that exist there, I think are going to be a really interesting place for, I think, newcomers to the blockchain world to investigate more. Yeah, I think newcomers often fall into this hole of following a lot of social media, YouTube, all of that. And I think it can be a little bit of a mistake, especially if a lot of people don't have your best interest at heart and they're just giving you information that honestly is not the best. That is really good advice. So do you have any general advice for teens regarding cryptocurrency safety advice? Because like we just said, following people's advice on the internet can often be really dangerous, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency investing or blockchain. Yeah, I will say, let me just give a story on something that happened recently within various Discord communities, because Discord and Telegram are two very popular communication mediums that, you know, traders and blockchain investors like to use to connect specifically with the community and, and to maintain that engagement. You will find that it's pretty much a disclaimer across the board that these new or these communities that exist there, moderators and owners of these channels and these servers that exist, that they will never ask for you to give them anything and they will never um, you know, ask for direct payment. Uh, in fact, they even go as far to say is that we will never direct message you. So if you ever get a direct message from somebody who appears to be you know, somebody from our staff or from our team, just assume that it's, uh, you know, somebody who's trying to fraud you. So recently, you know, a friend, of, a friend and colleague of mine, you know, went through a scenario where uh, somebody had cloned her account and was reaching out to a bunch of members of their community asking for Ethereum. And somebody, unfortunately, you know, like fell for the, <laughs> fell for the uh, fake story that was given them. Uh, about her being in trouble and needing some money. And this person being as good natured as they were handed over uh, a large sum, five figures of, you know, Ethereum to this individual. And now this, this person is gone, right? They, they're not going to be able to track this person down. There's no way, you know, to recoup those losses. And so all the best that they can do is just, you know, ban this person from being able to get to their server and maybe, you know, talk to the platform about doing an IP ban so this person doesn't is no longer able to use these communication tools. So that's just one story, and there's literally thousands of them that you can share where people are being frauded um, through this world. But you know, that's again, that is something that has been going on in the legacy of fiat currency for ages. You know, then you know, I, I don't want to be here as the, you know, the, the doomsday guest on your podcast, Abby. Uh, but 
I, I think some other advice that I would give that's just general good practices is that you never want to share your public or your private keys. You want to have a public wallet address and you want to have a private wallet address and you want to make sure that those public wallet addresses don't have more than you're willing to lose. Um, so be ready to have multiple wallets ready to go. And if you can invest in a hardware wallet to get your assets offline and into a hardware device, that is ultimately the best way to secure any kind of you know blockchain assets that you wish to hold. And so I, I think that's probably the best and most important advice that I can give anybody that wants to spend more time within the blockchain space. For the high school juniors and seniors who are deciding which colleges to apply to, do you recommend any colleges to study cryptocurrency or blockchain? Oh, well, you know, I, I can't really speak to that because, you know, I, I've only really participated in two years of higher ed and then I enlisted in the army. I don't have a formal education on um, a lot of what I've learned has been self-taught in really just putting myself into a place where I was going to absorb the skills I needed. This isn't, you know, I, I don't mean to say that higher ed isn't the pursuit and, you know, it, it's not for everyone. And some people want to accelerate and fast track and to get right into those positions where they can hyper download what they need to do in order to provide, right, that uh, fill the need, right, for a particular organization if you just, you know, like you want to get plugged in with an organization and support them. Honestly, I think the best thing is, you know, the, pursue any degree that uh, allows you direct access into what's happening in the current world. Because what I've noticed is that higher ed tends to be a couple of steps behind what the latest innovation is, only because they have to go through right the vetting of a lot of right the course material that's given to professors, and then you know the the professors might be working in you know in tandem with a couple of organizations, and they might be funneling interns, and then of course that feedback loop where they're able to get some uh, data points from successful organizations that exist out there today. So I think there's a balance between all of that. If you're going to pursue higher ed, regardless of where you go, follow those schools that have a good track record of either job placement or, you know, how many successful entrepreneurs came out of that school. Uh, you know, I, I think those are just general good metrics to follow. Um, another one, you know, another bit of advice that I would give there is just keep your foot in both worlds, right? There's nothing wrong with participating in a startup simultaneously while you're going to college and trying to pursue a degree in, you know, maybe engineering or, um, you know, you want to, uh, you know, learn how to, you know, do coding. Uh, I think there's a lot of aspects to the blockchain world that very much mirror any traditional business that is being created because you're going to need sales. You're going to need marketing. You know, you're, you're going to need community engagement and, you know, product development. So all of that, you know, still exists and it's not going to go away, but in fact, it's expanding at a rapid pace. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to track sometimes, especially if you're focused on your own startup, you tend to get horse blinders, right? And you, you have to watch all of the other organizations that might be in competition with you. But sometimes in the periphery, there's this new innovation that happens that's outside of your, you know, area of focus that you might miss on. So, man, it's, it's not an easy question to answer because it's just, it depends on, you know, your own personal passion, your own personal pursuit. And, you know, I encourage anyone to just follow where your intuition tells you to go.
And if, you know, your intuition is leading you into a couple of failures on the way, just remember those failures are important lessons to help us be super successful later on because nobody got to where they are without failing at least, you know, a hundred plus times before they finally found that one thing that just stuck and, you know, allowed them to fulfill their dreams. You know. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So Peter, on behalf of cryptocurrency teams and our listeners, I would like to thank you so much for sharing your experiences, suggestions, and words of wisdom. It was really great meeting you and talking with you. So thank you for your time and for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Abby. I appreciate it.